First Chronicles chapter number 11, verse number 10. These also were the chief of the mighty men. Somebody shout mighty men. Mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. I want to preach to you on this Sunday night on this subject, the marks of the mighty. The marks of the mighty. If you're going to help me preach, would you shout amen? amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I was 10 years old. My grandma and grandpa Hart were living with our family at the time due to a season of sickness. And I'll just be honest with you, my 10-year-old self was in a season of my own, a season of thinking that I was mighty. I thought, I'm sure there's none of you here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and blow your cover, but I thought I was the toughest kid in the youth group. I wasn't a fighter, but I was an arm wrestler. Do I have any witnesses in the house? I was, I was an arm wrestler. And one night, we all piled into the car to head to church. I believe it was a midweek service. And it was my mother and father and my older brother, myself, and grandma and grandpa. We all piled in my parents' vehicle. And I was put in the front middle seat between my dad and my grandpa. Now, you must understand something about my grandpa Hart. At, at this time, on this particular evening, my grandpa Hart was 104 years old. 104. He died uh, at the age of 107 several years later. But on this particular night, he was 104. And it was only a seven-minute car ride to church, but I got a little bored. And apparently, I, I felt great strength come over me. And so I decided, there's nothing else to do. I'll arm wrestle my 104-year-old grandfather. <laughs> and so we commenced. And it pains me to confess this, but ladies and gentlemen, time after time, he beat me in arm wrestling. <laughs> but I refused to give up. And so after every defeat, I, I just came back for a little bit more and we arm wrestled again and again. And finally, uh, about two blocks from the church, he finally said these words that haunt me to this day. Quit, boy. You can't beat me. <laughs> to my 10-year-old self, I was devastated. I thought that I was mighty until matched with a true mighty man. When considering the men of Scripture, King David would undoubtedly be named among the mightiest, not only in his adult years or his kingly reign, but David was mighty from a young age. 
he was but a youth, the Bible says, when down into the valley of Elah he marched, coming face to face with Goliath of Gath. And we assume that it was at that moment and because of that victory that David became mighty in the eyes of Israel. Yet I remind you this evening, David had already in the previous chapter been called a mighty, valiant man. Because might is not measured out according to how old you are or how much you've been through. Anointing is not subject to age. Kingdom purpose is not predicated on seniority or or physical maturity. I would preach to some young person tonight, your worth in the kingdom of God is not determined by your height or, or your stature or your size. You may be young, but you are not too young to be mighty. The young can be mighty. For after the defeat in the fall of Goliath, the people celebrated their victory over the Philistines. And and they sang of their victor, saying this, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David hath slain his ten thousands. The predecessor had been great, but the successor was greater. The old king was mighty, but this new king seemed to be mightier. I submit to you this evening, thank God. God, for the might of the elders that have come before us. I thank God for all that they accomplished. But here on this Sunday evening youth night at Calvary, here's what I believe. I believe this generation of apostolic students, I believe this generation of young adult hyphens has the potential to be the mightiest in God's kingdom. I believe you have the potential to be the greatest. They've slain thousands, but you can slay ten thousands. They saw miracles of great magnitude, but you can see miracles of greater magnitude. They, in their day, saw unprecedented revival, yet you can yet again, in this day, see an unprecedented revival in your middle school, in your high school, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your own youth service. Oh, the things that God is able to do. I I mean no disrespect to those who have gone before us. I thank God for our elders. Yet neither do I disrespect you. I'm preaching to the youth tonight. Neither do I disrespect you because the anointing that God has played, had placed upon every elder of generations gone by, God is placing that same anointing upon you. Amen. The exploits that they did, I submit you shall do and more. 
the great sacrifice and the consecration that those generations made with gladness. I submit if you will make those same consecrations and you will make those same commitments, oh, how God will surely exceed all that we have seen in days gone by. Don't misunderstand me. You can't pray any less than they prayed. You can't sacrifice any less than they sacrificed. And you can't live any less holy than they lived. But if you will strive for greatness in God's kingdom. You hear this preacher tonight. God is able to use you in your youth like other generations were used in their later years. I just believe God is able to put upon this generation an anointing that exceeds their years. I believe God's able to use them in ways in which they've never dreamed would be possible right now. God put an anointing on this generation that is beyond the number of their age. Give them wisdom that is beyond their years because the young can be mighty. Beyond the years of just his youth, David matured from a young shepherd boy with harp in hand into a mighty man. We see him as a magician or a musician rather and writer of songs in the song. But the life story of this man after God's own heart spans across the books of First and Second Samuel. And into the first two chapters of 1 Kings, where we see King David as the unifier of Israel's 12 tribes. The victor over every adversary. Founder of Jerusalem as the national capital. Designer of the first temple. And the greatest king in Israel's history. Yet, ladies and gentlemen, God saw fit to surround this mightily anointed man with mighty men. David waxed greater and greater, the Bible says, but not by himself. Listed in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 23, we read, these are the mighty men whom David had sometimes referred to as the 30 chiefs or simply the 30. These mighties were among Israel's toughest warriors, having been trained by David himself and credited in Scripture with heroic feats. These men would surround themselves around David and unify their efforts around his vision and command. These men did not fight for their own agendas. These men did not, not seek to surpass the authority of the one that they served, but rather these mighty men were committed to the cause of the kingdom. And they courageously took their stand on the front lines of battle against any foe that would form itself against the people of God. 
I hurry to my message, but I have but two conclusions concerning David's mighty men. Every child of God needs to surround themselves with them who are mighty. Every apostolic young person needs to surround themselves with mighty young men and mighty young women. I'm sure you've heard it said. Maybe mom and dad have even said it to you, but it's true. Show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. Because young people, it's, it's true. You become who you behold. And if your friends are weak, you'll be weak. If your friends are carnal, you'll be carnal. If, if, if your buddies are ungodly, then you'll be ungodly. But if you will surround yourself with the mighty, you will rise to that level. You will find yourself leaving those that are uninterested in doing the things of God and seeking His kingdom for you'll become mighty. My second conclusion is this. Every man of God, however anointed and however mighty he may be, every man of God needs a host of mighty men and mighty young women. It's youth night. Every, every man of God, your pastor, amen, needs a host. Not just of, of young marriage and not just of the middle age and not just the elders, but Pastor Carson needs a host of mighty young men. He needs a host of mighty young women who will come around him. Because David, David could not have ever won many of the victories he did had God not supplied him with loyal and courageous officers. He was surrounded by mighty men who were willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with him in battle and fight in agreement for the kingdom and the promises of God. God. I, I would submit to this, this youth group tonight. Amen. Pastor ought not fight this battle alone. You may be young, but you can be mighty. Brother Matthews ought not fight this battle alone. They, the elders ought not pray alone. They ought not fast alone. They ought not worship alone. There ought to be a host of mighty young men and mighty young women that rally around the man of God and the kingdom of God and say, you lead the way and I'll be right beside. I'm not leaving this to you. I'm going to be mighty and I will fight alongside you. When I look at the parallel chapters of 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 23, we notice that while the Bible names 37 men, don't get nervous, I'm not going to preach about all 37 of them, take a deep breath. There are five men mentioned and credited specifically for great feats. 
I don't, I don't have time tonight to tell you the marvelous story of those three mighty men who fought through enemy lines in order to obtain a drink of water for David from the well of Bethlehem. However, I do want to mention quickly five of these mightiest men in David's circle because it is in them and their actions that we see the marks of the mighty. I need, I need my first volunteer to run up here real fast. Mighty number one, can you come? Mention first in First Chronicles chapter number 11 and verse number 11. You can just stand right over there in front of that speaker. Thank you so much. First Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 11. His name was Jashobim, a Tachmanite, the chief of the captains. And it is said, he lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him. At one time. When confronted on the battlefield. And brought face to face. With his foe. Jashobim did not cower down. From combat. Jashobim did not dismiss himself. From service. But Jashobim lifted up his spear. Ready for war. Willing to fight, armed with a weapon. That mighty man knew there was only one response to the advancement of the enemy. And that was to fight. That just resonated right there in my spirit. He knew only one response to the advancement of the enemy. Young people, we ought to know but one response when all of hell comes against us. When we are bombarded with the lies and the dark agenda of the, there ought to be one response. And that is not fear. That is not intimidate. We ought to rise up and fight. That is a mark of the mighty. When those ungodly agendas bombard your mind, you ought not tuck your tail and run. When temptation comes knocking at your door again and again, you ought not surrender to its persistence. When Satan speaks lies to you, when you sit in a classroom, amen, and blasphemy is given to you as truth, you ought not just buy in. You ought not just linger and listen to those lies. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you ought to, you, you ought to stand up with boldness. Don't lay down your weapons. Here's what the mighty do. The mighty lift up their spear and fight. That's what the mighty do. Just like Jasho Beam was given extraordinary strength to overcome hundreds. I submit to this group of, of apostolic students, amen, this, this evening we obtain spiritual strength to overcome our adversary through prayer. Through prayer. 
We, we don't fight in the flesh. We don't fight with anger. We don't fight with rage. We don't fight in carnality. We don't fight in rebellion. We lift up the spear in prayer. Oh, that a generation would learn how to get a hold of God. Oh, that you and I could learn that our first response ought to be prayer. The mighty are strongest when they kneel. So the mighty fight their battles on their knees. I, I don't have time to, to tell stories tonight. i, I got to hurry. But this, this comes to my mind. I, I was preaching some years ago uh, down south. And i would never been to this church before. I walked in and the pastor told me. He said, well, pre-service prayer starts at this time. And, and we got two prayer meetings. He said that the adults pray in the sanctuary. The young people pray in the youth class. He said, to be honest, the young people have the better prayer meeting. I said, I'll go to the young people's prayer meeting. But Lopez, I walked in and, and I walked into a darkened classroom and, and, and I heard the voices of young people. I couldn't see them, but I heard the voices of young people travailing before the Lord, lifting up their voice. And what a powerful presence of God swept into that room. I couldn't see a single face, but I could hear the voices of young people who had learned how to lift up the spear. They had learned how to combat the lies and the agendas of an evil world by going to their knees and fighting in prayer. Prayer, prayer uh, preacher of prayer came to a, to a close. They flipped the lights on. They didn't have a youth pastor. They just had a, a, a precious lady that, that was the, the youth Sunday school teacher. She flipped the light on. She said, all right, let's take prayer requests. They started taking prayer requests. They just started naming names and situations. And I didn't know anybody. I'd never been there before. But she interrupted. And she said, Brother Hart, I know, I know you're not familiar with our church. She said, the reason we do this is because in the last two months, I believe it was, there was, there was two or three. I can't remember the number. But there were multiple people that had been healed of cancer as a direct result of that youth prayer meeting before every service those young people were convinced prayer is where we fight our battles miracles happen when we pray chains are broken when we lift up the spear and pray ladies and gentlemen that is a mark of the mighty we know how to fight in prayer Let me get mighty number two, run up here real fast. After him, the Bible says, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until... His hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory 
that day. Ladies and gentlemen, here we see the second mark of the mighty. Eleazar fought until his hand was weary, but he claimed to the sword. I submit to you young people, our sword is the word of God and the glorious truth of this gospel. And we need mighty young men. We need mighty young women in this day that will fall in love with the word. We need young people. We need 12-year-olds. We need 13 and 14 year olds that will get a grip on the sword and make up their minds. I don't care what my friends do. I'm cleaving to the sword. I don't care what the world does. I'm cleaving to the sword. I don't care what they that the social media influencers of this world say, I'm cleaving to the sword. Can I preach to you? You need to know here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You you need to know, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When somebody asks asks you how how must I be saved, you, you you don't you don't have time to pull up Google. We we don't have time to call Brother Matthews and say I've I've got somebody asking me how must I be saved? I, uh, my hands are empty. What do I do? You need to have the sword in your. You need to have a good grip enough to say. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter how weary you get. It doesn't matter how tired you get. Don't separate yourself from the sword. I know it may not always be popular. I know it may not always be acceptable. And the way our present world is going, it's it's getting less and less acceptable. It's getting less and less applauded in our present day. But don't you ever turn loose of this precious truth. Don't you ever lay down your sword. Don't break away from the Bible and decide there's some better way. There's another option. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to cleave to the sword. The Bible says, I'll say one more thing and I'll move on. But the Bible says that this man fought alongside David in a daring stand after The men of Israel had gone away. Everybody else had retreated. Everybody else had gone back to the house. But there this man stood cleaving to his sword. The rank and file of professing professing Christians had fallen away through unbelief and and apathy and fear. But this was the opportunity of the mighty to cleave to the sword and do mighty things. 
Can I, can, I, can I say it this way? It doesn't take a whole lot of courage to cleave to the sword and, and fight the good fight of faith when you are surrounded by a company of fellow soldiers doing the same. Let's be real. It doesn't take a lot of courage on Sunday night, youth night of family month at Calvary to say, yeah, I believe that. Take a whole lot to, 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 to have that kind of courage at, at youth retreat or a youth camp or a youth convention. It doesn't take a whole lot of courage there, but it takes more courage when your closest friends turn their back on the word of God. It takes courage. On, it, it takes a mighty young man and a mighty young woman to stand when all of their other friends have forsaken the things of God and gone some other way. It takes a mighty young man to stand with the word gripped in his heart and say, I may be the only one. Everybody else may go away, but I'm cleaving to the sword. Oh, I wish we could lift our hands right now and ask God to put a love for truth deep in our souls. Mighty number three, run up here. After Eleazar, who claved to the sword, was Shammah. Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. And slew the Philistines. Now I read this verse and I sit back and I, I have to ask the question. Why would Shammah risk his life to defend a field of beans? Why would he risk his life for a field of barley? Isn't that foolish? Are beans really worth all that trouble? Not at all. Because ladies and gentlemen, Shammah wasn't fighting for the beans. Shammah wasn't merely defending the crop. He was fighting to defend the land. The land that God had promised and empowered Israel to possess. That land belonged to the Lord. That land was given to Israel to use for his glory. And Shammah didn't want the Philistines to take control of the territory that God had given unto them. And so Shammah stood his ground. Who cares about the beans? Shammah was defending a fulfilled promise. Shammah was protecting what God had given unto them. So when those Philistine uh, troops came grazing in the field uh, and pillaging through those pastures, uh, taking food uh, and fostering fear uh, within the hearts of the people, uh, there Shammah 
understood. And I submit to you young people tonight and anybody else under the sound of my voice that would hear just like God gave them that land. God has given unto us some things that must be defended. You want, you want to really thrive in your walk with God. You got to defend it. You want to keep what God has given you. You got to defend it. That anointing God has put upon your life, it must be defended. That calling that God has placed upon you, it must be defended. That freedom from the spirit of fear that God has given you, it must be defended. The deliverance from depression must be defended. That loosing from, from lust and the things of this world, it must be defended. The mighty say, devil, you can try, but you cannot take what God has given me. You can come against me with whatever you want to use. You, you can bring all of hell against me, but what God has given me, it's mine. This joy that I found through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I'm standing in the field and I'm defending it. The freedom that God has given me. Come on, I'm preaching to students tonight, but you're dealing with things that other generations have never dealt with. And when God delivers you, it's the mark of the mighty that you say, I'm never going back to that. I'm never going back to what was. If God gave me victory, I'm defending it. If God set me free, I'm defending it. If God gave me a promise, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to what God. Do I have some mighty young man that would throw your hands in the air and say I'm standing in the field fighting for what is rightfully mine? Mighty number four, hurry up here very, very quickly. Mentioned also by name in First Chronicles chapter number 11, verse number 20, is Abishai, the brother of Joab. Abishai is commended here in this passage for killing 300 enemy soldiers. But there's something more for us to learn about Abishai. Abishai is mentioned several other places in Scripture, and when considering those, we see that sometimes Abishai wanted to do things to which David said no. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, when he accompanied David to the camp of Saul and found the king asleep, Abishai begged for permission to slay Saul. But David said no. Abishai also anxiously asked to cut off the head of a man named Shimei because he had cursed David. Yet again, David said, no. Here's what I want you to understand tonight. Abishai won daring and dramatic victories when David said yes. 
But he also learned to submit to the authority in his life when David said no. I know it's Sunday night, and maybe that's not what you expected to hear from the guest evangelist. But it's in the Word, and I can't take it out. Abishai learned to trust his authority rather than his instincts. He learned how to submit to the authority that had been placed in his life and, and act according rather than acting according to his observations. So I would tell every young person in this room, one of the marks of the mighty is that they understand the value of authority and submission. Abishai was a man of war to the highest degree, yet every man of war needs a man of God. Every man, every mighty young man, every mighty young well, you may do great things and you may have a great anointing on your life, but you need the man of God in your life. You need somebody that will tell you yes, and you need that same person to be able to look you in the eye and say no. That's not good for your soul. I don't think that's wise. That doesn't line up with the word of God the mighty don't get mad the mighty don't run somewhere else and find somebody that'll say yes the mighty value their authority my last mighty come I'm hurrying the fifth and final man mentioned along with his accomplishment was Benaiah the son of Jehoiada who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men. That's a bad dude right there. But he also went down and slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. His victory wasn't on a sunshiny day when everything was good and the conditions were the best. In fact, I like what F.W. Borum said. Benaiah met the worst of enemies, a lion, in the worst of places, a pit, in the worst conditions, a snowy day, but he won. I submit to you this evening, your generation is battling, might I say, the worst of sin. Maybe I'm preaching to the minority, I don't know. But many of, of apostolic young people have been driven into the worst of places. I've watched young people worship with everything they have within them. And then hear the story later that they live in, in environments that are not at all conducive for godly living. Some of you perhaps this evening are living for God in the worst of conditions. Yet I want to tell you your adversary does not determine your outcome. 
It doesn't matter how fierce your adversary is and how bad the environment around you may be. Your adversary cannot determine your outcome. The place you are in is not greater than the power that you possess through the Spirit of God. The condition you're in cannot keep you from conquering. I've come to tell a young generation tonight, you can slay the beast. You can walk out of that snowy pit with a testimony that when the odds were against me, when it looked like it was all hopeless, even then, victory was mine, and I slayed the beast. It was winter time when Benaiah met that lion, yet the mighty don't take time off. The mighty don't get time off. There are no seasons without the chance of struggle. In fact, the more involved I become in youth ministry, the more I understand summer is the easy season to be victorious. It's easy to serve God in the summertime for an apostolic young person. It's easy to go to camp and youth services, all this stuff. But the winter comes. You go back to school and you... you you hear other voices and you hear other agendas. But can I tell you the same God who empowered you back when the sun was shining. The same God that empowered you at a youth camp. That same anointing that came over you on, on youth night of family month is the same God that will come down in a snowy pit when you face a life. It may be winter. It may be the worst of conditions. But the mighty stand their ground they look the beast square in the eye and they declare victory in the name of Jesus Benaiah slew the lion but the passage also goes on to tell us he slew an Egyptian man of great stature the devil is often in scripture likened to a lion. And Egypt is often a symbol of that worldly system that ever opposes the kingdom of God and the people of God. Therefore, in Benaiah's victories in that snowy pit and when encountering that great, strong Egyptian man, we see a picture of the victory that you can win over both Satan himself and this world. Because the name of your enemy is irrelevant. The place you are in is pointless. The conditions that surround you matter not. The intensity of your struggle is, is not important. The nature of your temptation makes no difference. The mark of the mighty is that we have power. What did the Bible say after that? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. We have power. 
power. Young person, the devil may be telling you you can't. Maybe I'm preaching them beyond just a young person right now. All of hell may be telling you you can't overcome that addiction. You can't overcome that stronghold. You can't conquer that generational curse. I'm here to tell you that devil is a lie. We are overcomers through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the mark of the mighty is that you can slay the beast. My last point and I close. Benaiah, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 21. Benaiah plucked the spear out of that Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. Can I tell you what the mighty do? The mighty take the enemy's methods and they use them as their own means of victory. The onslaught of temptation in this generation is staggering. But I submit to you right here at Calvary, there are mighty young apostolic mighties. There are mighty young men and mighty young women in this day who are unwilling to let the enemy prosper. And every temptation that hell brings against them, you know what the mighty do? The mighty turn the temptation into a testimony. When that Egyptian man comes with a spear, when he comes to drive a temptation into your soul, when he comes to drive fear deep into your spirit, you take what the enemy meant for bad. And you allow God to turn it into something good. Thank you, guys. I close with this. Musicians, please come. The ultimate mark of the mighty... It's the mighty do not glory in their own might. In fact, the mighty can always be found at the feet of the Almighty. King David, in all of his might and all of his abilities, He had a lot of accomplishments of which he could have bragged about and taunted. He could have wore them as buttons on his shirt, if you will. We don't read about David singing his own praises. We don't hear about David magnifying his own greatness. But rather, these were the sentiments of his soul that did overflow from his lips. David said, oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For the Lord, he is a great God. He is a great king above all gods. He is our God. And we are the people his pasture he was quick to give all the praise to the true almighty God 
I take you to one more mighty man in Scripture. Having just crossed the Jordan River and surveyed the city of Jericho, Joshua concluded that Jericho must be possessed. Suddenly he encountered a man with a drawn sword in his hand to which Joshua asked, Are you for us or for our adversary? The answer of that man revealed it was the Lord himself in human form saying in Joshua 5 and verse 14, As captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Ladies and gentlemen, at that word and at that revelation, the Bible says Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And so I submit to you on this Sunday evening as I close and you stand to your feet. Jericho was conquered and crushed only because a mighty man understood that he was only as mighty as his meekness before the Almighty. That great victory that we sing and preach and talk about since Sunday school, that great victory could only come when the mighty humble themselves before the Almighty. So I declare to you, we're getting ready to open this altar and I believe God's getting ready to do an incredible work. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God is able to fill you with the baptism of His Spirit in this room tonight. If you need deliverance, from sin, from an addiction. It matters not. If you need deliverance in your life, God is well able to deliver and break chains. But you will only be as mighty as your willingness to humble yourself before an almighty God. For indeed, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. I'm wondering if there's somebody in this sanctuary that would throw your hands in the air and say, God, I know I have a need. I have a great hunger. Amen. But I am only as good as my willingness to bow before your throne. I will only be as mighty as my willingness to come humbly before your throne. I open this altar tonight and I'm not just reaching for the young people. I know it's youth night, but I'm reaching for everyone in this room right now. Amen. I would to God we could humble ourselves before the Almighty right now. I believe God is able to silence the voice of your enemy. It matters not the struggle that you've been wrestling with. 
Come on, I want you to come to the altar, not just simply out of habit alone, but I want you to bring your struggle with you. I want you to bring your battle to the altar right now and say, God, I humble myself before you because it's through my humbleness. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see a victory.